the bad weather we had and the, the tornado that, that was on our property a week ago, um, I wanted to kind of change gears. We were, we were doing a series called I Can, and I was going to finish that up, and then I thought, you know, I really want to address um, this idea of severe weather and tornadoes. Uh, you know, when this kind of stuff happens, it's sometimes overwhelming. Uh, you know, many of you know people who lost their lives or know people who are related to those that lost their lives in, in surrounding areas. Um, many of you may have had some damage. I haven't heard any reports of severe damage from anyone in our church, but I know there are people around the area that did have that. And it, it's just kind of human nature to begin to question and say, Why? Like, why did this happen? Like, we believe that God is good. We believe that God is benevolent and all-loving. And we believe that he's all-powerful. But yet, an all-good, all-powerful God didn't stop this from happening. Maybe, in some cases, some people think that he might have even caused it. I've heard people say things like, um, you know, well, God's, God's just trying to get our attention through this and, and stuff like that. Um, or, or that God is judging sin um, and he's sending tornadoes, or this is the worst one, or that God needed more angels, and that's why he took life. Y'all groaned, and that makes me happy. You should have groaned. But that kind of stuff is said, um, and it's totally biblically illiterate. It's not true. And as Christians, we get our information from the Word of God. And we've been talking about this. The will of God for everyone is expressed in the Word of God. And the will of God for you individually is expressed through the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we, we can know about this type of stuff when we search Scriptures. And that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to develop a, a, a theology for tornadoes and disaster. And so this way you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt what role God did or didn't have in this. And we can apply this not just to the tornadoes of last week, but we can apply it to any tragedy, any disaster, sickness, um, um, anything, travesty that happens in our lives. And so I just want to warn you real quick. I'm going to be going really fast because I've got a lot of information. I normally like to take breaks and joke around and tell stories and stuff. I won't do that this morning. Okay, I'm going to lie. Um, I probably won't do that this morning, or it'll be a lot shorter, okay? Because we've got so much to get through. If you want my notes, um, I encourage you to, uh, to, you can email me, I'll give them to you, but we'll also have the scriptures up on the screen. So uh, I really want to start by asking the question, who was responsible for the tornadoes, who, who is responsible? Who is to blame? I mean, we, we, we want to know who to blame. We want to know who caused this, right? And so there are three logical possibilities. This is outside of, you know, this is within the Christian paradigm. So this is outside of aliens and stuff like that, okay? There are three logical possibilities. And the first one is God. The first possibility is perhaps maybe this was a, a message for humanity by God, and we didn't listen another way, so therefore he had to do something bad and destructive in order to get our attention or to judge us. There's a, there's a problem with that. There's a really big problem, and it's, not, it's just logical. If God is using severe weather to judge people for their sin, he's got really bad aim. Because the most tornadoes are found where there's the most Christians in the Bible Belt. 
And, and you would think he would be slinging tornadoes if he's out there flicking tornadoes at everyone. If he was trying to judge people for sin, Christians don't have any sin. It's as far as east is from the west. And so, and, and you heard this, you know, back when Katrina hit New Orleans uh, several years ago, and everyone was like, you know, New Orleans is, a, is an evil city and God's judging it. There's a problem with that. The problem is, is that the floodwaters didn't even make it to Bourbon Street, which is the epicenter of the evil in New Orleans. Where it did go was to the poor areas, and Jesus specifically says to take care of the poor, and he won't break his own word. So it, it, that, that doesn't make any sense, okay? So, so you either worship a God with really bad aim, or he's not using these things as judgment. As a matter of fact, and we've, I've taught this here, sin is its own judgment. The repercussions and the consequences of our own sinful actions are our judgment for now. When we die or when Jesus comes back, there will be a final judgment. But God doesn't have to judge us for sin now. We judge ourselves through our own sinful actions. Okay? That's Bible. That's Bible. So let's look at some scripture. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus. Okay? See, I know God talked to Job in a whirlwind, but Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the most recent um, and, and accurate depiction of what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, okay? So we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to see um, what Scripture shows. So Matthew chapter 8, verses uh, 23, we're actually going to go to 27. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. Okay, that's a big deal. That's a problem. You don't, when you're taking on water in a boat, you, you begin to scramble and freak out, right? So the disciples went and woke up Jesus, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. They knew that he could save them. Jesus responded, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. He got up. He didn't grab a bucket. But he got up and he spoke. He rebuked the wind and waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. And the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the wind and waves obey him. So we see here Jesus, um, Jesus is the one who's stopping the storm, not the one who's causing the storm. If, if God the Father started the storm to teach the disciples a lesson, to judge them or to get their attention, then Jesus should not have stopped the storm. He should have let it continue and let the disciples learn their lesson. Do you follow? Scripture says a house divided against itself cannot stand. In other words, Jesus said that in the context of I do what I'm in complete uh, congruency with the Father. We work together. Okay? We work together. And so God won't do something and Jesus do the opposite. They do the same thing together. So we can know that because Jesus stopped the storm, that Jesus also didn't cause the storm. Acts 10:38. Uh, Peter is, is uh, preaching. He says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we see that Jesus went about doing good, good stuff. Like, you know what good is, you know what bad is. It's written on your heart. It's your conscience. You know what's good, you know what's bad. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by who? The devil, right? Not oppressed by the Father, not oppressed by God, but all who were oppressed by the devil. And why did Jesus do this? For God, the Father, was with him. 
Well, if God was sending the disaster to begin with, and he was with Jesus, then that would, that would make you think that Jesus would keep the disaster going. That's just logical, right? But that's not what happened. Jesus stopped the disaster from happening. So John chapter 10, verse 10, you guys know this. You've heard it quoted a million times. The thief comes, but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus is talking, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Now the thief here, if we're going to be honest, is not Satan. The thief is false prophets. Anyone that tries to jump over the fence... Uh, but who, who is at work in the lives of the false prophets? It's Satan. It's the enemy. It's, it's, our, it's the devil. And so we have this uh, juxtaposition between Jesus bringing, um, bringing life and life everlasting and life abundant. And you see the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, those tornadoes that came through last week, was it life abundantly or was it stealing, killing, and destroying? Stealing, killing, and destroying. So you know who the author of it is. Because Jesus and Satan have very different objectives. Jesus doesn't masquerade as the devil in order to get our attention. God is the solution to, not the author of, life's problems. Do you hear that? So we can say, according to Scripture... Wholeheartedly, 100%, that God was not the author of the destruction that happened last weekend. God was not the author of that. It was not his expressed will. It was not his desire for that. Now, I know some of you have been trained so well to think that God is sovereign and that God, um, God can do anything he wants to. And that's true. Or, or that God is in control. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I'd rather say that God is in charge because God is in charge. He's God. No one else is God. But there are certain areas where he has given you control. And in just a moment, you're going to see there are certain areas where he has given Satan control. So we need to understand that God was not the author of the destruction we experienced. Amen? That's amen. It's a good place to say amen. So here's the other logical possibility is that it was Satan. It was Satan. Now, the Bible teaches that we have an adversary who goes about stealing, killing, and destroying, as we saw in John 10.10. 10. Uh, and he's the one. He hates us. He hates the image of God in humanity. And he is after us, so to speak. And he causes destruction and mayhem on the earth. So let's look at Scripture. Let's see what we can figure out about last week. Well, Ephesians 2.2, 2, and you, you can turn there later. For the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of quote some of these. But please, I need you to hear me. You are not only welcome, but I would prefer that you check up on every single Scripture that we do here. Okay? Don't just believe it because I say it. All right? This should be icing on the cake of your own Bible study throughout the week. Okay? All right? So check up on me. Make sure I'm not lying to you. Ephesians 2.2, 2, he's talking about um, the saints and how we used to live in darkness, now we live in light. And he says something interesting. He calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Have you ever heard that phrase before, prince of the power of the air? It's an interesting phrase. If you go back, if you know the New Testament was written in the Greek language, Koine Greek. It's a dead Greek language. It's not what they use in Greece today. But if you go back, we know what these words mean, and you can look it up. It literally means the commander of air power. It means the one who has authority over the atmosphere. 
Now, the, the, the tornadoes happened where? In the air, in the atmosphere. All severe weather happens there. So we know in Scripture here that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air or the commander of the, or the ruler of the power of the atmosphere. So who do you think is more likely to be the one that caused something like this? The one that has control. Well, I thought God was in control. God is in control. He's in charge. And we'll explain why Satan has control in just a moment. We'll look at it in Scripture. 1 John 5.19 says something interesting. It says, The whole world lies under the control or the sway of the evil one. The whole world lies under the control or sway or, I'll add my own word, influence of the evil one. Okay, so we so we we have to understand that the devil and we'll talk about why, but the devil, Satan, our enemy, the accuser, the adversary, that that he has control and influence in this world. So you can't say that everything that happens is the express will of God because someone else has control in the area as well. Are you with me? Okay. So we know the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. 1 Peter 5.8. Let's just turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. There is a warning given to us. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking or looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So, guys, look, we need to understand something. We have an evil and active adversary. I'd love to get up here and tell you, hey, Jesus loves you. It's all good. He's never going to let something happen to you. Nobody hates you. Everybody loves you. There is a supernatural being that actually exists that hates your guts. Sorry. I think your guts are great. So does Jesus. Satan, not so much. And this is the reality that we live in, is that we do have an enemy. So we see, you see from Scripture that there's a big delineation between God's will of blessing and abundance and Satan's will of death and destruction. So if you ever see something happen that's death and destruction, stealing, killing, destroying, you can know that it is Satan. He does have the power to cause things like this. The whole world is under his sway. All right? Do we, you got that? So that is a very real possibility for what happened last week. It could have been the devil actually causing, and it's not just him individually, but the whole realm of, of the demonic darkness, making an attack against this church, against this area, the city, and this community of South Georgia. That would make a lot more sense why there are tornadoes in the Bible Belt, wouldn't it? Okay, so, so that's definitely a possibility. Here's another logical possibility, is that it's just nature. It's nature. It's just a natural occurrence caused by severe weather. Now, this is not nearly as fun as talking about the supernatural beings. And you know, y'all know people that blame Satan for everyone, for everything, right? Well, it's just Satan. Satan's after me today. I'm like, sweetheart, Satan doesn't know who you are. All right? That's just a bad decision on your part, right? But we live... We live in a broken world. Now, now look at Romans chapter 8. This is very interesting. Some of you, this will be the first time you've heard this. Listen to this. It says, For all creation is eagerly waiting... 
for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Now check this out, verse 20. Against its will, creation's will. And this is not talking about people creation. This is talking about like plants and animals and trees and stuff, okay? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children, that's you, and glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Isn't that interesting? So here we learn, first of all, you ladies that have been through childbirth, there might have been a little bit of groaning that went on during the process of birthing that baby. As a matter of fact, I would say groaning is maybe a little, a little too nice about it. Uh, we've had three kids, and I've watched Tiff deliver all three, and the, the middle child, Tiffany, decided, you know, I think I can do this without any drugs, without, and totally natural, and of course, she chose to do that on the largest child, um, and there was some noise coming from the delivery room that day, okay? Way more than groaning, it was straight up screaming, but she made it through, it was awesome, and then when we had Isaac after that, there were drugs involved, <laughs> so... <laughs> So there's, y'all know, groaning, right? Now, delivering of a baby is a violent act. It's difficult, right? And it says creation is groaning just like a woman in childbirth, waiting to be relieved from the death and decay that we pass down to it. So you need to understand something. Our creation the soil, the plants, the trees, according to the word of God, is sick with sin just like people are sick with sin. And so the groanings that we hear is the outward manifestation of that sin sickness. Look at uh, Genesis one twenty six really quickly. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, it says this, God said, let us make man or human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Okay? It goes down, um, verse 28, he blessed the people. He says, be fruitful, fill the earth, and govern it, and reign over it. He then talks about the plants that are given to them as well, and he says that it's all good. See, God put man in charge of the earth. This was before the fall. This was before Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree. So who was in charge of the earth? Mankind was. And then when they partook of the fruit in the, in the Garden of Eden, they gave away, they, they, they not just infested and infected themselves with sin, they inf- infected the entire creation. Of course we see storms and mudslides, and earthquakes, and all sorts of stuff. It's sick. The world is broken with sin just like we all are. So it makes a lot of sense that we see stuff. We see disaster, natural disaster. It may not even be God or the devil. It may just be tectonic plates moving, and it causes an earthquake, and then boom, you got a tsunami. What's God doing? It was just plates, man. It's a sick world, like literally. Does that make sense? 
And so we don't need to over-spiritualize things that sometimes are just natural. Now, it came from a spiritual source, which is our sin. But do you see that all creation was subjected to our sin nature as well? Okay? For me, last week felt like attack. It's felt like attack to me. I know that tornadoes happen and bad weather happens, but it did feel like attack. And so to me, God's off the table. God didn't call us last weekend. We see that in Scripture, right? He didn't didn't do that. He doesn't do that. But we do have an enemy that's the prince of the power of the air. And we do live in a world that's got tornadoes and hurricanes and storm cells and all sorts of stuff. It's just it's temporary. It's just where we are now. But it is a broken world. And so it's to be expected. I'm sorry. Sorry you live here. <laughs> we'll all be in heaven one day where there are no tornadoes, okay? Because heaven is the express will of God. There are no t- tornadoes there. Okay? So, so it's coming. Our full redemption is coming. So the question is then... If God didn't cause the tornado directly, why did he allow it to happen? Couldn't God, if he's all-powerful, couldn't he have stopped it? I mean, it was Satan's doing, and, and it was, you know, the world's broken. I get that. I understand that now. But why didn't he allow that to happen? And let's look at John, John chapter 9. Are we doing okay? Are you all along for the ride? You doing good? Okay. Do I need to dance or something to keep you all awake? You don't want that, believe me. Talk about a natural disaster. John chapter 1. This is interesting. Jesus walking along, he sees a man that had been blind from birth. So here we have um, a deformity, or we see someone was born uh, in a tragic way. They're they're born wrong. Okay, They're born incomplete, and he's born blind. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? That's a hilarious question. It's actually called a false choice fallacy, where you give people two choices and neither one's right. America, love it or leave it. Well, you can like dislike some things and still stay as well. That's an option as well. So it's a false choice. And they offer that false choice to Jesus. Like, okay, because this was their mindset. He was born blind, so evidently either he sinned, I don't know how he can sin in the womb, or the parents sinned and brought that upon their child. Look what Jesus says, verse 3. It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night's coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. So he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He said, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. I'd I'd love to be a fly on the wall when that happened. Can you imagine the scene? You're like, why was he, you know, did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus like, neither one. Um, You're going to see the power of God, though. And so he reaches down, he grabs dirt, right? Hawks up a loogie. Jesus had loogies. Spits it, starts, I mean, this is, and you know the disciples are like, what's he doing right now? Walks over to the blind guy, right? And the disciples are like, are you kidding me, Jesus? What are you about to do? The poor blind guy, he can't see. He doesn't know Jesus' hand is coming with him with spit and mud all over it. All of a sudden, could you imagine? What a weird scene. I love it. I love it. Why did Jesus do it that way? That's what he saw the Father doing. 
He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I don't know why, but he, he, but he, he followed what he saw the Lord doing, and he was just complete obedience, and he did it. But we, we find something interesting here. See, when you see someone born with a deformity or a problem, it's not because the parents or that person did something wrong to deserve it. Okay? There is a general allowance of tragedy and destruction in this world because the world's broken. Genes don't always get passed on correctly, and, and, and babies don't always get born the exact right way, and there are viruses and sicknesses, and there are things that happen that cause destruction. See, when, when Adam fell, sin came into the world. Sin has consequences. It has consequences. And while it would be wrong to shield us from the consequences of sin, God does heal them from us, he, heal us from them. Does, does that make sense? So he doesn't shield us from the consequences of the broken world we're in. That was the fault of mankind. But he will heal us. And I love it because they're like, why, why did this happen? He goes, this happened so we could get healed. So the, in, in other words, God didn't cause it, but God will fix it. Do you see? And that was Jesus' mentality. It was like, you know, it's allowed. Death, destruction, we don't, the things we don't like, it's all allowed. It's all allowed. But Jesus is the solution to it. Amen? All right, really quickly. So in light of this, how should we live in light of potential disaster? Knowing that we have an enemy, knowing that we live in a broken world, knowing that because of sin, uh, there is just a general uh, destruction that exists in our reality. Okay? It may come through birth. It may come through just life happening. But, but stuff happens. All right? Stuff happens is actually really good theology. Just you know, make sure you say stuff. So it happens. So how do we live in light of this? Well, first of all, we got to be unafraid. We, we have to live unafraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound, safe-thinking mind. So fear is not from God. You, you, know, you being afraid of storms coming when you, you get the weather alert and you see the radar and it's all red and purple and it's headed right for your house, you being afraid doesn't do anything. It doesn't change one thing about it, does it? It doesn't change it. Okay, and, and so we can't be afraid. We've got to learn to, to, to live our lives unafraid. All right? Now, it doesn't mean that you like that it's happening. But it also doesn't mean that you concede that it's the will of God. As a matter of fact, the next step is to be, be prepared to fight. Be prepared to fight. Look, let, let, me, let me just share this with you really quickly. We can't get into it for the sake of time too much, but... We teach on this here. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's, he's dealing with false prophets. And he would plant a church and they'd come in and they'd start teaching extra stuff that Paul didn't teach and correcting Paul's teaching. And so this is his response. He goes, he goes okay, when I come, we're going to find out whether or not these arrogant people have just good speeches or whether they have God's power. Verse 20, because the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. See, you've been given authority. You've been given power tools. You've been given things like the prayer of agreement. You've been given things like a personal prayer language. You've been given things like authority through prayer. You can position yourself for a greater likelihood of protection. God has given you authority, and you can use that authority. 
I'll tell y'all what I was doing Sunday morning. I, I knew that the, the, another cell was coming through. I got on my front. My kids thought I was crazy. They still do. I stood on my front porch and the wind's, you know, going up. I started preaching to the trees. I started praying. I started confessing Psalm 91 over them. I started telling them that their root system would go deep into the ground. They would not fall. And also said not a single tree would fall on our street as a result of being blessed that we live in this community. I don't think a single tree fell, did it? Now, what if a tree fell? Okay. What if it did? At least I did what I know to do according to Scripture. But I'm not going to bow down to fear and do nothing. No, use your authority. You have authority. God lives inside of you. You are the house of God, the temple of God. Get in the Word and figure out what He says to do about this stuff. Amen? Yeah. Preach to the trees. Here's the other thing. So say it doesn't work. Look, that's cool. Assume your redemption. Okay. God, I preached to the trees and one fell on my house. What does that mean? God's not real. What does that mean? I'm, I'm a, I did something wrong. No, you know what it means? That God's got another way of redeeming me. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good for those that love him and, and are working their life according to his power and his will. See, God's a redeemer. It's what he does. He's really good at redeeming. Some, some of y'all ladies think you're really good couponers. You redeem those coupons. Jesus is the ultimate couponer. He's redeeming us. Buy one, get one free. He's really good at that. And he can take a bad situation and he can make it good like no one else can. So we need to assume, well, what if something bad happened? Look, hey, we, had, we, have, uh, we have a messed up office in the back. Our student ministries building is really, is really messed up as well. Right? We have broken lights out there. Well, that tree in the parking lot needs to come down. I mean, there's, there's, we've got issues, but you know what? Guys, I know God's going to redeem it. I may not know exactly how. I may not know exactly when, but I know his nature. I know his character, and I can trust that beyond what I see. Amen? Here's the last thing. Be ready to meet Jesus. Be ready to meet Jesus. Yeah, this is an amazing scripture. Luke 13, Jesus actually brings up a situation of disaster and chooses to teach on him. Luke 13, 1 through 5, about this time Jesus was informed that Pilate, that's the Roman occupying government, had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Oh my gosh, can you imagine if our government broke into a church in town and murdered people while they were worshiping? That's what happened. Jesus takes the opportunity to teach. He goes, do you think those Galileans that died were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? In other words, okay, do you think that God targeted those people or that those people uh, died during worship because something was wrong with them? Jesus asks, is that why they suffered? Verse 3, not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Verse 4, and what about the 18 people who died when the tower fell on them? Evidently, they were constructing a tower. A tower fell down and killed 18 people in that area. Big disaster, okay? Jesus like, well, what about them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? Verse 5, no. I tell you again, but unless you repent, you'll perish too. This is a great opportunity for Jesus to tell us why it happened, and he didn't. What did he do? He warned us, and he said, look, 
you live in a broken world. Towers fall, people are evil. They break in, they'll kill you during worship. Creation's been subjected to our sin just like humanity has. It's a dangerous place. Are you ready? Are you prepared? And that's my question to you as we end. I I can't guarantee you that another tornado won't come through soon and do something bad. I, I can't guarantee you that. Now, if it happens, we'll agree together. We'll, we'll, we'll declare the will of the Lord over the situation. We'll preach to the trees. We'll preach to the sky. We'll command it to go just like Jesus did. But in the end, guys, even more than having a little victory over a storm, do you have victory over life? Do you have victory over death? Are you ready to meet Jesus? What if, what if this storm last weekend had totally demolished your stuff? Have you, been, have you been investing in your own spiritual life so you wouldn't just be totally derailed if that had happened? What if you'd lost your life this past weekend? Where would you be right now? What would have happened to you? Where would you have spent eternity? Are you ready? That's what Jesus asked. Look, in light of these destructive things, I can't promise you they won't happen. Are you ready? Amen? Let's stand for prayer.